Good morning, church. I had to make sure my fancy headset mic was working there for a minute. Perks of the job, I guess. Uh, my name is Michael Glenn. I'm the, shouldn't put this on the piano. Somebody yell at me. I'm the worship pastor here at New Hope. It is good to see you. Um, pastor Mark is still out of town fishing. And I, for one, am, am very glad that we have a senior teacher pastor that is so committed to being like Christ in that way. Um, did you also know that Pastor Mark is something of a carpenter? Did you know that? Um, I really enjoy being at his house, but every time I'm there, he's always showing my wife some beautifully just finished carpentry project. And there's always that long ride home where I'm feeling just a little inadequate. I'll play you a song when we get home. I don't know how it all goes down. But uh, he may just come back wearing a robe and sporting a beard. I mean, I, all right, enough. Um, no, it is good to be back with you. Uh, I'm, I'm glad the Roman series will continue next week. Um, a few weeks ago, I was downstairs. I was talking to the worship team in between services. We had a brief conversation that hit me kind of hard. And um, in that conversation, uh, some members of the team had, were asking me questions about that week's particular message. And, and they were along these lines. How can I better absorb God's word? What can I do to take more of it with me? Now, let me rephrase uh, that sentiment for you. And I think many of us will relate to this. It goes like this. I am eager to take God's truth, to take the truth of God, the word of God, and let it influence and lead my life. How do I do that? All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, <clears throat> for training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now, the answer that I gave to my, uh, the worship team um, with regard to this question about how better absorbing God's word, it's centered on this principle. We better absorb God's word when we abide in Christ and when we keep his commandments. The truth of God will get into our hands, it will get into our feet, it's going to get into our thinking and it'll be in our speech when we abide in him and, his, and apply his teaching. Now, later that week, <clears throat> I'm driving and, and I'm kind of reflecting on that conversation. I'm thinking, you know, I, I think I answered those questions pretty well. Abide, keep his, abide, apply. Oh, abide and apply. That's good. It rhymes, right? It alliterates. We can use it as an acronym. I mean, the church people are going to love abide and apply. Um, so today, that's what we're going to do. I want to look over these two principles with you into God's word. So let's pray and we'll get started. Dear God, um, take notice of your people here, your servants, your sons and your daughters. Grant your spirit. Um, give us clarity and understanding to your truth. We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. 
Our text for today is from the book of 1 John. If you have one of those, uh, a Bible on one of your devices, feel free to open that up now, or there is a black hardcover Bible somewhere in the pew near you. And the verses will also be up on the screen. I want to make sure that you see what I'm teaching from. So 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sin. And not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ being the satisfaction, the the appeasement, that's what the word propitiation means, the appeasement, the substitute for the sins of the world. So taking our cue from this text, the very first thing that we have to understand is that our desire and the efforts that we make in the areas of abiding in Christ and applying his commandments to our life, we have to understand that these efforts are in response to what God has already accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. The danger here is that we get this flipped around in our head this abiding in Christ and keeping his commandments. And I've been in ministry long enough to know that this happens, and it happens far too often. We're human. Look, we are found in Christ, and we respond by pursuing a godly life. Christ does not save us in response to a godly life. Let that soak in for a minute. This is part of what's very unique about Christianity. The other religions of the world have this, the opposite. Let me do that one more time. We are found in Christ, and we respond by pursuing a godly life. Jesus Christ does not save us in response to a godly life. Here is a biblical perspective on this point. Now, I mentioned earlier that Pastor Mark is teaching through the book of Romans. Um, He'll be back next week. I I believe we're going to be in chapter 8, right? Okay, I'm glad we're all following. Uh, okay. um, the book of Romans, um, if you were to open up your Bible in the NASB translation, the ones that are in, in the pew there, um, the heading for the first chapter of the book of Romans, the heading is, says this, the gospel exalted. Now, the book of Romans is a very rich, rich book, Yes. Yes? So chapter one, the heading is the gospel exalted. Now, the book of Romans is a total of 16 chapters. Okay, we go through, um, there's sin, um, righteousness, uh, chapter after chapter of God explaining and putting the pieces together so that we can know with absolute certainty that we're messed up and that Jesus is the savior of the world. Okay, sin, righteousness, chapters one through 11, justification, freedom from sin, chapter after chapter. You know when the first time in the book of Romans that the, the topic of godly living is really gone into? Chapter 12, chapter 12. We need to take our cues from that, that what comes first, what we first need to understand, what our faith needs to be rooted in is this gospel. And there's a scripture verse that clearly demonstrates for you. I wanna point that out. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 21. God made Jesus who knew no sin. Now this is an important part of the gospel. Jesus was sinless, he was, he was faultless. 
to be sin on our behalf. That is what happened on the cross. The faultless, sinless Son of God became sin so that... I love these words in the scripture. When I read words like so that, I get excited because God is about to give you insight on what he plans on doing because of what he did. He died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and through that, and because of that, the verse finishes this way. We might become the righteousness of God in him. So our efforts for a godly life are in response to the beautiful things God has done for us. Now, this week, in preparing this for you and really digging into this text, I became very convicted that um, I should do that and not just say that. So I'm going to spend a few minutes with you just explaining what the gospel is. Um, I don't have any screens for this. I've asked the tech people to just turn it off, and there are no notes for this. I just want to talk to you, just reason with you about what the gospel is, and then we'll continue in our text in 1 John. Um, but did you know that you can see the premise of the gospel? You can actually see it. All right, I have an example of this for you. I have a friend who goes overseas a lot, and the last time he went overseas, he, he left the country, he went to a new location, and so when he arrived where he was going, we were texting back and forth, and the conversation revolved around his new spot, like, where are you now? And he, um, I, I will quote you what he said. Let me find it here. Um, he said this, it's actually kind of pretty here. Now, take a look at these pictures. So he actually texted me these pictures from where he was, and I was like, yeah, that is kind of pretty, kind of rugged, rolling hills. Look at that bright, crisp sky. Here's the thing. My friend works for the government. These pictures were taken in an undisclosed location somewhere in the Middle East. My friend is not a diplomat. Are you tracking? In fact, you could say that his job is the exact opposite of a diplomat. He's formerly U.S. Navy. He's special forces trained. And he does something over there, the goal of which is to keep all the people over there who want to kill all of us over there from coming over here. And it's actually kind of pretty here. There is magnificent beauty in this world. There really is, but something is definitely wrong. There is beauty in this world, but something is broken. And as the world tries to bend itself into a pretzel trying to explain all that, I want to help us all out. This is the deal. God made the world. That's why it's beautiful. His fingerprints are everywhere. His joy, his grace, it's here. You can see it. The earth is full of his glory. Parents, remember that first time your, your, your baby giggled? Does anybody remember that moment? Was that inexpressible joy? I actually found that video. So my oldest son is 16. I can't wait to embarrass him next service. But I actually remember we were living in apartments in Holt, Michigan, and we had this, one of those baby carrier things, and he was, I had him in there for some reason, and he was on our kitchen table, and he just, I was doing something goofy, I'm a little goofy, and he started to giggle, and, and I, I don't know, I went and got our video camera and recorded it, and I actually found that this week, it made me think about that, just how amazing that moment is, you know, just, they go from that look where they're always judging you, <laughs> to laughing with you, that is magnificent, isn't it? 
holding hands, laughing with friends, great meals, sunrises, seashores, summer thunderstorms, constellations. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. You can see it. And frankly, you have no excuse if you've ignored it. I mean, I love you, but you're, you're, we're working really hard if you're not seeing the glory of God in this world because it is obvious. There is beauty here. And there are terrorists. And there is cancer. The wrongness of this world, the brokenness of this world, God calls it sin. Now, I understand that word may be difficult for some of you. Sinner! Maybe you've been called that. Maybe that word has been used in life and has, has left its mark. It has left its mark on my life too. But think about sin, sin this way, because I'm going I'm to be using this word uh, today. Yes, it is absolutely the things that you do wrong and the things that you think wrong, the, thing, the stuff that's in you. But I, I'm also going to use that word to describe just what's wrong with the entire world. Something is wrong here. Something needs to be dealt with. And although that's the concept of sin, I also want us to consider this. Sin isn't just someone else's problem. Sin is your problem. Sin is my problem. Because what we see broken in the world, the things that we point at and, and just, the things when we open up our newsfeed in the morning and we wince at what we're looking at, what happens, what God does for us because he's gracious to us is he wakes us up to the reality that in some way what we're looking at is in here. And that is a problem. Because sin kills you. Sin leads to death. And there's no escaping that. There is no escaping the universal truth that no person that has ever walked the face of this planet, no mere human, I should say, no mere human has ever been to, able to perfectly perform their own moral standards, let alone God's moral standards. But the gospel, the gospel has nothing to do with what you've done. God himself, the very God that, that, that is writing his story of glory in the constellations, the God that put all the glory here on this earth, in heaven, faultless, enthroned in light, sinful people on an earth, killing each other. God came down here and became a man. God became a person so that he could deal with the sin of the entire world, with our sin. So when you hear about, and people talk about Jesus dying for our sins, Okay, that's what we're talking about. God came down here, became a man, and he suffered a death sentence. He allowed it to be carried out on himself to remove the sting of death that we otherwise would have to endure. Jesus Christ faced off against the power of death and won, and won. He came out alive. God allowed himself to die as a penalty for our sin. He went into a grave, and under his own power, he came out alive again, never able to die again. How did he do that? How does somebody do that? That doesn't happen. He did it because he defeated the power that kills people. He defeated the power 
of death. It no longer has any power over him. Look, we sometimes get angry at God with death. We get angry at God. I have been there. I have stood by those graves. But there's a bigger spiritual reality. And I, and I know this might hurt. It hurts to think about these things, but there's a bigger spiritual reality that I really have to point out, is that we're not really, you can't get, well, you can, you can get angry at God with that, but the bigger spiritual reality is that you're getting angry with God at death. You're getting angry with him at death. Look at what Jesus did on the cross. Look at the suffering that he endured to remove our sin. We, as people, you're a person. We're the ones that are lying, cheating, stealing, fake newsing. I mean, the list is long, right? We're blowing each other up every day. And yet God comes down here and took the, the punishment for that wrongdoing on himself. Perfect God, no sin. It's already done. Happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus died on a cross and suffered all the punishment for the sins of the whole world and then he rose again, the power of death defeated. Now, listen, here's the gospel part. This is the good news part, you ready? God offers his victory over death to you. He offers it to you for free. How do you receive that gift? I'll say it this way. If you don't wanna die forever, and if you'd rather be with Christ from this point forward and forever, this is how God has modeled to receive his gift. We turn from our ways, we have our way, our direction, and we turn to him, we follow him, and we believe that he died, we believe that he's the savior of the world, we believe in him, and he gives us, he gifts us with faith, he gifts us with strength, and we're in. And now, and we are his forever, and he will lead us home. That's how we receive his victory over death. That is the gospel. That is what we have to come first, New Hope Church. That is the central reality. That's where our roots have to be. And our efforts to pursue a godly life need to be rooted and grounded in this reality. Receive this gift. Receive it. Let's pray for a minute, and then we'll continue in 1 John. Lord, as a church, as a community, we are in awe of what you have done for us. We are grateful for the power that you put into your word and into your gospel. Hear the hearts of your people here. And if there is someone here who, who would receive your free gift, God, by your spirit, we pray, make them aware of your presence in this moment right now. Allow them to sense your grace. Let them understand Lord Jesus, who you are and what you've done and how you are offering it to them as a free gift. Grant them faith in the gift of your Holy Spirit to the praise of your glorious name. Amen. Amen. Moving on in our text, church, let's move on in 1 John chapter 2. Verse 1 and 2 were the gospel message. Now we begin at verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar 
and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. That's kind of tough, isn't it? Here's the thing. It would be very easy to interpret this scripture right here as as the central element being to keep the commandments of Christ. And I'm not even going to say to do so would be wrong. But here's where I want to guide us. We can't miss this part. The keeping of the commandments that is referenced in this scripture is a physical, tangible, observable evidence that we are already abiding in Christ. It's a physical, tangible evidence that we are already abiding in Christ. Can you see that? We don't obtain unity with Christ by obeying his commandments. The abiding comes first. But however, this is a big, big however. We can't and shouldn't be confident we are in Christ if we are absolutely careless about his commandments. If we care less about what Christ has commanded us, according to the text, according to God's word, we should not be confident that we are in him, that we are abiding in him. One of my goals for us today is to help us understand about what we just read, about how the abiding and applying his commandments, how those concepts relate to one another. So first I wanna start with abiding. Biblically, abiding in Christ, both the actual word and the contextual meaning of the word can also be understood as dwelling. Uh, The aspect of abiding in Christ uh, that really struck me this week um, was how much uh, the concept of location is weaved into that concept. That's interesting, isn't it? Abide to dwell. Location. Um, Abiding in Christ is a place. Abiding in Christ is a place. Isn't that interesting? And I know it's, it's abstract. It's somewhat abstract. By the way, it's not a literal place. I'm not talking about, just to make sure we're clear, I'm not talking about a, a temple or something like that. That is not what I'm talking about. It's an, it's a, it's an abstract idea. But here's the thing. You, you go just a little bit deeper into this concept of abiding with Christ being a place, and it gets very practical, Okay? Let me explain. I live in Diamonddale, Michigan. I have a home there. We, we call Diamonddale out there, just so you know, we call it the Little D. We're very proud of Diamonddale. And uh, it's on the other side of town. And I live there with my wife, Marla. We have four kids. Um, when I am there, if I am there and not checked out, uh, if I'm being a good husband and a father, in living there, I'm going to be growing in my relationship with my family. I'm going to be growing in my understanding of them. Now, I don't spend every minute there sitting at the, at the kitchen table holding their hands, looking them in the eye. Um, but we do do a lot of work. We plan. We play. We laugh. We cry. We hurt. We heal. And in the next service, I'm going to point out for my wife that we clean. And we do it together. Now, imagine this, that in a very real spiritual sense, in a very real spiritual sense, 
having responded to the truth of a gospel, God, big, awesome God is inviting you to live in his spiritual house. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Yes, my, low, my soul longs, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Oh, to abide with him, to be close to, to make a life alongside the king of kings. You might not spend every minute of your life on your knees in prayer with your Bible open, but you're going to get a lot of work done with God. Jesus Christ and you plan, play, laugh, cry, talk, hurt and heal. The both of you, you and Christ and Christ and you. This is to abide, to be in spiritual closeness, to be in spiritual proximity with God. Abide and apply. Now about that apply part. Has anybody ever had any house guests? Any guests in your home? Nobody wants to admit that? I will. So, you have home, maybe you have a relative that needed to crash somebody, uh, crash there for a while. You have some dinner guests or something like that. Now, can you imagine a scenario? Can you imagine a scenario under which, under certain circumstances, that your guests are no longer welcome? This has actually never happened to me, I don't think. I, I was really rattling my memory. I don't believe I've ever actually had guests at my house and had to ask them to leave because of their, what they were doing. Now, I will tell you that I have been in other people's homes and things start to happen around me and I, I'm out. I get out of there. I pray never, I never do, but, but if someone comes into my home and starts to mess or corrupt with my kids, if someone tries to bring seduction or debauchery, if someone threatens violence or death in my house, you bet they're no longer welcome there. You're not welcome if you're bringing that. You know why? Because the people that I love the most live there. Grace, love, godliness, prayer, joy, that's what we're shooting for in the house. I love those people deeply. If you're going to bring that into my home, the whole operation's at risk of imploding. Oh, and there is lots of grace. Don't get me wrong. But there's got to be rules of the house. So can you see, can you see that it is out of his deep, deep love for you that God requires that you follow his house rules? This is how God can say, abide in me, and you can know you're abiding when you keep my commandments. You'll know you're in my house when you're following my rules. If God 
If God were to let chaos and death and sin rule in the spiritual dwelling he's making with you, why would we ever even be caught singing, you're a good, good father? That is not a good father. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Let that sink in for a second. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. You know why? Because they're for your own good. God's commandments are intended and designed to bring you into closer relationship with him. They are not arrows or weapons. They're designed to bring you into closer relationship with him. So this week, um, my nine-year-old son, Joshua, he's a spunky kid, and he's got this big, blonde, bobbly head of hair. He comes up to me, and he's got these bright eyes and a certain amount of enthusiasm in his voice. And And he comes up to me and says, hey, Dad, so if I were to take some bread and smash it into a ball, and then light it on fire, and then throw it into the freezer and quickly shut the door, what do you think would happen? (laughs) I'm not making that up. (laughs) Now, as you are now all a little spinning, just from, I mean, like, to think those things in that order, like, that is just, I just had to take a minute to, like, come down. Now, but, but as, as the dad of a nine-year-old kid, you know the very next thing that came out of my mouth was something like this. Hey, buddy, you haven't tried that, have you? <laughs> and then what quickly comes after that is a lesson in not playing with fire. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in his shadow. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is he who delivers you. You see, there is protection. There is rest and protection when we abide in Christ. The rules of the house are in place for your own good. They are not burdensome. Love God. Love people, especially people that have not earned it. Love people that other people don't want to. Seek God's kingdom. Let the prizes that this world is so eager for, let all those prizes, just let them go. The rewards of heaven will be much better. Guard your heart, guard your mind. Remember, in Christ, your physical body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Keep it pure. As you learn to love like Christ, you are abiding in Christ. When you get knocked down, called out, and ridiculed for standing firm in his commandments, you are abiding in Christ. When you suffer, and in the confusion and anger and pain, you cry out to God for deliverance, You are abiding in Christ. Sadly, it is possible to live with someone and not talk to them. But I've noticed something. 
If I'm intentional about having meaningful conversation with my family, um, if I am patient to listen and I get to know them better, our relationships grow. Of all the things that Christ did for us, church, really, of all the things that Christ accomplished at the cross, rose from the dead, um, the blessings, the future that we have, I mean, it's even just in this life, it is a laundry list of things that Christ just opened up. One of the top, it just has to be just astonishing what he did, which is that now we have unfettered all access pass to the throne of God in prayer. We, we talk about it a lot, but don't let the fact that it's common, as Kyle was talking about in communion, don't let that, don't let that remove from you the amazement of that reality. God listens to you absolutely anytime you want to talk to him, anytime at all. Now, I mentioned that I live uh, at home with a wife and four kids, so there's six of us, and we homeschool. So our house is always really busy full of activity. And I'm not sure I'm proud of this, church, but, but you can ask my kids sometimes, sometimes. I just look at my kids and say, stop talking to me. <laughs> stop talking to me. I mean, I just get overwhelmed with questions about flaming balls of breads being thrown into freezers. And I'm trying to make breakfast. I'm trying to clean something up. I'm trying to arrange the day, drop a kid off somewhere in private. He's just like, stop talking to me. That's usually actually how it comes out. <laughs> stop talking to me if, no, it's not like that. <laughs> God listens to you absolutely any time that you want to talk. And, and, and we could talk about prayer in terms of how it's like talking to another person, but you know what? I'd rather not do that. I'd rather just refresh us all on how talking with God is absolutely nothing like having a conversation with another person. Do you know why? Because prayer is an, an abiding, dynamic relationship with a limitless, all-powerful God. We are abiding in Christ. You are in his house now. Think about that. His gates line the perimeter. His servants are guarding the door. Dad owns everything, and he can do anything. This is not like people. This is the polar opposite of people. Oh, Lord, the God of our fathers, you are, are you not God in the heavens? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you? This fearful, powerful, just God. Hey, come on in. Abide here. Come into my house. Let's spend some time together. You want to talk? And you know, in the Bible, if you want to do a study, it's a fun study, is um, especially Jesus Christ. Look at, examine the interactions that Jesus Christ have with people with needs. It's just fun. Read through the Gospels, and when he encounters somebody who has a need, take it apart and examine it a little bit. And you can draw out some principles about uh, what moves the heart of God to respond to us, all right? And... Um, I get lost here in my notes. Um, he, you know what moves the heart of God to take action? Um, get your act together. Get in shape. Swear less. Read two books a month. Wait a second. I'm sorry, no, that's my New Year's resolution. I don't know how those got in here. 
No, I'm making a point. It's not like that. It's not like that. When you read the Bible and you examine what moves God's heart, very simply, oftentimes it's just this. Tell him what you need. Talk to him. Interesting, right? He has built something in there. He knows your need. But oftentimes what triggers him to act is when we tell him what we need. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said five words. Rabbi, I want to see. Go. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight. And if, if we're, when we're confused, I get confused all the time. Call to me, God says. I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things you have not known. Christians, brothers and sisters, through the gospel, I will never stop encouraging and challenging you to get to know the teachings of Christ. Get to know his teachings, his commandments. And listen, dare them in your own life. Try them out. And you will be abiding in Christ. You'll be dwelling with him. You'll have spiritual closeness with him. We don't do this to earn him. We do this because he bought us. He bought us. And now he's showing us all a path that includes being close to him. You want the truth of God's words to influence you and lead you? Abide in Christ, with him, in his dwelling, in his strength. Grow in your understanding of him, on your knees in prayer, absorbing his word in community. Um, let me quote, as Pastor Mark likes to say, an old dead theologian. Um, I won't be quoting Mark's favorite theologian, but this gentleman is Dutch, so I think that has to count for something. Look at these words, beautifully written. Come, my brethren, and let us day by day set ourselves at his feet and meditate on this word of his with an eye fixed on him alone. Let us set ourselves in quiet trust before him, waiting to hear the holy voice, the still, small voice that is mightier than the storm, that rends the rocks, breathing its quickening spirit within us as he speaks, abide in me. Before we close in prayer, I need to dish some tough love. But don't worry, I wrote it as a rhyme to take the edge off. <laughs> Many of us here truly do want a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. That is awesome. That is fantastic. Have you ever had an experience where God awes you? Um, seen something, and then you attribute it to God's goodness and his glory, those constellations I talked about. That, that desire that you have to get closer to God, you know that didn't come from you. That didn't originate with you. God put that there. That's evidence that God's Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. The same thing when you see a magnificent scene and you ascribe to God the credit for what you're looking at, be encouraged. God's Spirit is with you. 
doing that for you. We don't do that on our own. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But I am convinced for many of us that that closer relationship with God we are eager for, the hunger for God's word to influence and guide our life, listen now, it has less to do with gathering more information as it does an experience with its application. The closer relationship with God that we are eager for, the hunger for God's word to influence and guide our life has less to do with gathering more information as it does an experience with its application. So in response, in response to the rescue from death that Christ has accomplished for me, I, for one, am willing to bet my life on God's word. And uh, I say that in all humility, God help me. But uh, as a church in faith, I invite you to do the same. Would you pray? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for this people, for, for all of us gathered here, that in response of, of having a realization that you, almighty God, because of the great work of redeeming us, have now invited us to make our spiritual home in you, to be close to you. God, I ask that with all the talk of commandments, I ask that you, you keep clear in our minds the, the, the central truth that we, we do not earn you, but that we are responding to you and we are pursuing you because you have bought us with your blood. We are grateful and we trust that any life that you have planned for us is the best one that we can live. So I pray that as a fellowship we go closer together, that we become more fervent in prayer, and that we would be eager to dare your commandments in our life in response to the great love that you have shown for us. Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you for this time that we've had together. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week, New Hope.